welcome back. It's week 57 on Out on That Line. I'm Jeff with my co-host, Alex. Alex, how are you doing this week? Jeff, it's been a bit of a, a rough week over here. It's been a, a week of much introspection, a week of reflection. Um, I don't know if you've heard about this nonsense with Smash Mouth, Jeff. Well, what nonsense could you be referring to? I'm sure there's plenty. Well, first of all, Smash Mouth in and of itself, if you were like, well, Smash Mouth is the nonsense, I would have to agree with you there. <laughs> yeah. But uh, they were doing a show, and Steve Harwell, who's the lead singer, uh-huh. appears to not be doing well. I heard that he has like some kind of heart condition. Um, but that news came out like a week before they played some brew fest in upstate New York and your boy, Steve Harwell got fucking drunk, <laughs> greased up from the crease up. And he started just going off on the crowd. He leans into this fan in the front row and goes, I'll fucking kill you and your entire family. Shit. He starts flipping the bird. He starts doing fucking Nazi salutes. He was out of his mind, Jeff. Out of his fucking oh, mind. No. Nazi salutes Nazi for real? Nazi salutes, yep. It's all oh, my TikTok. God, because, I mean, who amongst us has not had a bad night drinking? You know what I mean? Like, we've all we've all been there. But Nazi salutes, that's another, that's another level. There's something deep within that got unlocked after that third bottle of uh, Jameson, I think. It's the Clapton syndrome. You can't say... Drugs and alcohol made me racist. It's Gatorade. It's in you or it's not. Yeah, you just found the right key that unlocked that part of you. Apparently. Apparently. (laughs) And uh, here's the thing. I can't help but feel a little responsible. Really? Why is that? Well, as you recall, for people who watch our singles videos, and if you don't, you can go ahead and search hashtag out on that line on YouTube and get caught up on our 30 plus offerings thus far. Nice seamless but um (laughs) i did a video on the smashing pumpkins untitled which i described i said i was it was uh almost used as the end credit song for shrek and obviously Mm -hmm. we know smash mouth that i'm a believer and i took a couple shots at smash mouth in the video i was making fun of steve harwell's classic chin strap (laughs) i then made a subsequent video about smash mouth song padrino which is a genuinely fun song that i really like Mm mm-hmm But I took a couple more shots at Steve Harwell and a couple more shots at the band, all in good fun. The band saw it, and they commented, oh, boy. And I don't know if that meant, oh, boy, we're excited, or oh, boy, we're a fucking punchline again. Hard to know. (laughs) But I feel like I didn't help the situation, and I I feel a little responsible for Steve Harwell's predicament. Didn't we get DMCA'd for that video? We got DMCA'd for that and for the Steely Dan. Of course. Yeah. Of course. It's not enough for, for a man to beat his wife. He's got to take away your, your music out of your videos. Who beat his wife? From Steely Dan. Donald Fagan? Yeah, look it up. Donald Fagan beat his wife? I'm looking it up right now. He is a he's an abuser, I'm pretty sure. Let's see. Donald Fagan. Oh, no, I feel like I can abuse. see things. The world crumbling down. Oh, no, he did. He had a, a physical altercation with his wife. Musician Libby, please hold, Libby Titus. Mm-hmm. When did this happen? 2016? Holy shit. He will not yeah. be charged. He... God damn it, Bacardi. I'm not buying Coco Moco Mojito. 
Fagan agreed to enter into an adjournment in contemplation of dismissal, which allows charges to be dismissed if the singer stays out of legal trouble for a year. Jesus Christ, Donald. Come on. They're an aesthetic, you know? Stop. <laughs> knock, knock it the fuck off. The music is separate from the artist. Isn't that right? <laughs> That's fucking terrible. I, I'm glad... I, I thought you knew that. No, I'm glad Walter Becker didn't live long enough to see this. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I didn't, I didn't realize I'd be breaking news for you. <laughs> no, I was, I was like, this has got to be another goddamn uh, landing on water situation. Tanner was real handy with the steel when we were talking about, we were reading his notes on yeah. uh, In Heaven when we did it. And he said, oh, I've got big landing on water vibes in this one. And I said, I don't know that song. And you said, yeah, me either. He immediately came in, guns a-blazing, was like, uh, Landing on Water is an album, not a song. <laughs> and he said it just like that. He was so condescending. I cried. Now oh, we're both so fucking stupid, you I know? <laughs> Tanner's so fucking smart, Apparently not as stupid as Steve Harwell, though. Oh, Jesus. What a terrible terrible night for me right now i caused steve harwell's decline donald fagan caused mine christ i just i'm i'm sorry and i feel like you know the album that we're doing on this episode is i guess the songs that you had chosen from it we'll get into it in a little bit this the rest of the album is not going to help it's not going to help make you feel any better on this one i don't think should we just get into it i don't have much yeah. more to say about these goons and smash mouth yeah, I'm sorry for Steve so. Harwell if he's sick. I hope he gets better, and I hope he gets whatever help he needs. But he uh, he seems like he's going through it. He retired. He retired after that. Well, I can I can see why that might be necessary. Retire before you get canceled. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, that's that's classic. Like, you know, we'll give you the option to resign before we fire your ass. Yeah, you can't fire me. I quit. Yeah, yeah, that is. Uh, quite an interesting situation i apologize yes. for breaking the steely dan news for you today but we're going to get into the tune yards and their album sketchy and this is uh when did it come out like a month ago something like that two months ago mm, it made it might have been a little before that actually i know singles started July? getting i think so i think the first single from it dropped in like january okay but yeah i think the album came out in july okay well uh no released march 26th oh my god even older so we're yeah we're <laughs> only seven months late on this one whatever who cares yeah you know, you know? yeah so the tune yards is really another one of those bands that's just kind of the driving force behind it is one person there's two involved in it nowadays but when it first started you know it was just one person it's just kind of brought in these influences of like world beats and soul and funk and R&B and all these things and kind of slapped them all together. And that's kind of what their calling card has always been. And it doesn't get much different with this one. I haven't listened to a ton of the tune yards and certainly hadn't listened to like any of this album. I didn't even know that it came out. Um, but we've each picked our three songs from this one. We're going to go through them. I'm going to start right out and say you picked the songs that I was going to pick. As I was going, <laughs> as I was listening to the album, I'm like, oh, fuck yeah, this song bops. And then I got your text and you would pick two, two out of two out of the three that you picked were two out of the three I was going to pick. So I had to kind of stick and move a little bit, get myself back uh, oriented here and pick some other songs. 
Um, but what made you think of this album? You know, what kind of brought this one up? So I, my only real Tune Yards experience was two other songs. There's Gangsta, um, which I have on a playlist. Sometimes I'll just come across something and I'll, I'll chuck it on a playlist. And when I get to 125 songs, I move on and I start a new one. And they all have delightful titles. If you guys want to search user A Flare for the Gold on Spotify, you can find all my playlists there. They have great names like Power Pisces and Tungsten Antlers. Um, <laughs> they make no goddamn sense. But I am an acolyte of Frank Zappa, so got him in early. Um, yeah, so G- Gangsta was a song I was familiar with. I like. It's probably their most popular song. Uh, another song of theirs, and when I f- realized this a long time ago, shocked the shit out of me. Do you remember? I can't remember what commercial it was used, but the song No Water in the Water Fountain. That whole mm-hmm. thing? Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, I can't remember if it was iPhone or what, but it was used in a, a commercial. And when I found out it wasn't done by black artists, you could have knocked me over with a goddamn feather. Yeah. Um, and that is something that is integral to this album and to Tune Yards as a whole is their musical journey from being very Afrobeat inspired and some might say blatantly ripping off black music Mm -hmm. and that's been a bone of contention for them since their debut um and it is meryl garbus and nate brenner meryl garbus being the driving force yeah um the talent is very obvious but it is a very thorny issue and we'll we'll get into that and this album was basically a reckoning with that criticism and with the guilt the guilt that they felt um after people kind of pointed out to them hey have you ever noticed how you're basically doing what Elvis did, which is you tuned into something that we know you genuinely loved, but you kind of passed it off as your own and like mm-hmm. can't really deny that anymore. So it's um it's difficult. They're very talented. Meryl Garbus, very talented. But there there was a reckoning that needed to happen and it took place on this album. Yes. And I think they walk a fine line a whole lot about kind of how much you use those influences for your own benefit. Um, and a lot of it's very fun to listen to, but it's it's hard to escape the fact of who has made this music, you know? Um, you know, there's, there's obvious comparisons to Tao and the Get Down, Stay Down with this album because I think they've done, you know, concerts together. I think that like Meryl Garbus and Tao are friends in in real life. Um, so there's very obvious kind of similarities between those between the Tao and the Get Down Stay Down album and this one, um, just with how kind of off the wall it can get. Those different kind of syncopated beats that they use, the somewhat kind of off kilter, sometimes off tune lyrics, um, and it's it's really, I don't want to say they copied that style, but in maybe moving away from, you know, what they were getting criticized for, they kind of just slid right into something else that they're kind of ripping off as well Uh, because that's to me this sounds very similar almost too similar a lot of times where I'm like I know this is a friend of yours and obviously you're going to have similar interests but does it have to sound almost exactly the same well and I I disagree that it's a direct ripoff of Tao and the get down stay down I hear a lot of stuff in there I definitely hear that the biggest thing for me and it sucks to have to say this after the beginning of the episode but the, the most uh, obvious comparison I saw was Steely Dan by way of Tame Impala. 
Um, okay. It's got that Steely Dan jazz feel and a very specific aesthetic. The aesthetic matches the album art for this album. It's this lush, colorful, really vibrant. They're very vibrant performers. Um, and it, it incorporates a lot of different influences. I hear Ween. I hear David Byrne. I hear Herbie Hancock, St. Vincent, Jacob Collier. Jeff, Jeff, <laughs> it's sort of a cosmic gumbo. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, I knew I was going to do that at some point. You look so pleased with yourself right now. Oh, sitting dead red on that one. <laughs> um, but no, their 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 sound like has undergone an interesting evolution. They are super hit or miss for me. I went back and listened to the old stuff, and you've got this period where so Meryl Garbus talks about growing up. Her parents were huge Bob Dylan fans. Mm-hmm. Boomers, what are you gonna do? Um, but she was way more drawn to like Michael Jackson and Herbie Hancock and people like that. So she's very influenced by black music. And that was the music she liked to listen to. And I think that's great. I think that's like, it's important to share each other's culture. The problem becomes when you, you, I, I, I hesitate to call it audio blackface, but it comes real fucking close in some of their early stuff. Mm-hmm. And people caught on and took them to task for it. And they went through this period of austerity where they stopped wearing the colorful costumes. They stopped making this like very Afrocentric, lush um, kind of world music and focused on more of a, a pop direction. And it was terribly boring and it was terribly uninspired. And it, it once again matched the muted grays that they were dressing in as some kind of penance. And out of that came this realization on their part, Meryl Garbus and Nate Brenner, who are married, by the way. Um, out of that came this realization, which is like, we can throw on a hair shirt and walk barefoot over broken glass and put on this big show of how sorry we are. But that crosses into a point of self-indulgence that isn't helping anybody. We're not really apologizing. We're still making this about ourselves. What we have to do is step back, listen, figure out a way forward where we don't just seem, we're not ignorant of the criticism, but we're not self-flagellating because we want a cookie. Does that make sense? Yes, that makes perfect sense. I think that was very well explained. I mean, that's a hard, it's a hard line to walk, Mm -hmm. you know, because it's, you have to show some sort of regret, I suppose, for, for what you had done previously. But it's like, if you're an artist, I mean, I, I feel like, what, are you supposed to just give up your entire career over that? You know, it's not like they were doing Nazi salutes like right. Steve Harwell. You know what I mean? And it's, I mean, and I guess if there's also music is, we get told constantly, it's, you know, the universal language. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's something that no matter where you are, in the world, you, you can hear a song, even if it's in a different language, you're going to get to understand what the emotion of that song is. You're going to get to understand those the people a little bit better where you hear that music. Um, so I, I can understand why it should be okay to use some influences like that. Like if she grew up listening to Herbie Hancock and Michael Jackson, and that's her musical influences, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think as long as you are paying enough deference to that, then you're fine. And I think where they ran into the issues was not paying the deference in the first place. So they had to 
extreme course correct to pay that deference. And then they kind of were able to get themselves back to the middle. And I think they definitely got way more on the side of the weird with this album than they had previously. You know, I feel like this was them really trying to branch out and do some other things and try to have, you know, maybe acknowledge other influences and bring those in as well. So it's not as much of a kind of direct shot or a direct straight line down in the family tree from one type of music to yours. You know, you're trying to bring some other things in and they definitely hit in some spots on this album and they definitely missed on some spots on this album. Like the, the songs that we picked um, and really, I would say only most of the songs that we picked are ones that I really enjoyed listening mm-hmm. to, but the ones I liked, I really liked. I thought were really, really excellent. Yeah, and I was maybe a little more overall positive than you, but I definitely see the warts as well. Um, and honestly, some of those blemishes are on things that I liked, uh, and we'll get into that. And I think it's... You can't say there was malicious intent in drawing upon... I'm going to say Meryl Garbus because it really is her. Mm-hmm. You can't really say there was malicious intent on her drawing from her influences and what she loved. But there is a question of experience, right? So, like, Dao and the Get Down, Dao Win, Dao and the Get Down, Stay Down. Dao Win knows what it's like to be an Asian American, has a mother who was an immigrant who escaped the Vietnam War, has these very specific experiences. Uh, Another Asian performer, Rina Sawayama, we didn't cover her album, uh, was one of my favorites from last year. Mm -hmm. Um, Uh, Name name any artist that comes from the BIPOC community, and they have a very specific experience, and it can be as specific as Donald Glover or Tyler, the creator, feeling alienated from their community or feeling like they're not living up to their blackness. It's a very complicated issue for them. Point being, they're allowed to talk about their experiences and their issues, and to, to use the traditions that come from that music. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's not like Toon Yards came in and were like, let's, as white people, teach you how difficult it is to be black in America. It's not what they do, but it is a blatant jacking of the sound. So can you take the sound and not the message and feel good about that? And for the record, my position is, I don't think it was a cancelable offense, if you want to use that terminology. No. At all. I think it was done out of a place of love, but a lot of people were like, hey, you do realize what this sounds like and and how this comes across to people, right? Like, for the acclaim that you get, this is a sound that was born out of a very specific experience that you don't have. Yes. And it's difficult. And like a very quick anecdote about grad school. Anecdote, sorry. Um, I wrote a script that had an extremely diverse cast because my whole point was... We're not going to talk about racial, gender issues or anything like that. I just want to throw these people together and look at them purely as human beings. And ideally, if this got made someday, we would cast along these very diverse lines and show these people as a family unit. The script was about making a family. You don't have a family of your own. You make one with the Mm -hmm. people that you work with and love. And... I got flamed for it because everyone was like, how can you presume to write a Muslim character if you're not a Muslim? I'm like, well, I'm not writing her as a Muslim. I'm just writing her 
as a human being, and I would like a Muslim actress to play her because yeah. I am not the one to execute a giant racial dialogue. I just want to get these people in the same room and, and do what I can as a white creator. And that's a weird line to walk is like, so can I only write about white characters? And if so, I'm creating something that's only accessible to white people and I'm not doing my part to bring new talent to the table. If a Muslim actress could, and the character was written as a fucking stoner. So if a Muslim actress could bite into a juicy role of playing a stoner and letting her comedic side come out, would she jump at the chance? Would that be offensive to her? I have no fucking idea, but I would love to give a Muslim actress a chance to play that role. That was my whole thinking. And I was told that that was myopic and I was told that by other white people. So, <laughs> you know, I would have valued that feedback from a Muslim, but uh, it was, you know, other extremely pasty Bostonians yeah, you telling know, me I, how I wrong if, I was. If there's anybody we need to listen to regarding racial discourse, it's definitely other white people. Oh, white women. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Start them up, baby. Yeah. I mean, I, I can see exactly where you're coming from with that and the need to like just, you know, not assume because you're casting a muslim person that they have to be playing a muslim you know it, it's you know i think the whole point of acting is that anybody can be anybody you know and i think that's the idea is like if you can if you have the talent to play that part it doesn't matter who you are outside of that movie you know you should be able to do that you know and i think that was probably their thinking with the music they were making but i think without the deference which i think what was felt that was missing you know, the communities that they were seeming to offend, that was the problem they had with it, was that it, there was not enough deference for where you got those influences from, you know, or, or paying some homage to some of those artists, you know, that maybe didn't get as famous as they should have because they just came around at a time when people, their skin color, weren't getting the play they should, you know, and I think that's, that's completely understandable reaction. I don't think, again, like you were saying, I don't think it was an intentional thing. Like they were like, oh, we're going to take this, you know, we're going to take this music and do it and make ourselves rich and steal it from them. You know, I don't think that was the idea, but at a certain point, it doesn't matter what the intention is. The result is what matters. And the result was that people were upset by it, you know, and I think rightfully so. And I well, think, well, it's like, yeah. sorry, no, no, no go, go ahead. ahead. Well, I was going to ask, have you seen all gas, no breaks, the YouTube channel? Uh, no, I don't think so. Okay, well, long story short, the guy that was doing that contract dispute, he's he now does a thing. His new channel is Channel 5 on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And they go to, like, Trump rallies and pick up artist conventions and stuff like that, really kind of digging into these subcultures and the underbelly of America. And the most recent video they did was the Uhuru March for Equality, which was all white people who white liberals stooging on themselves because as soon as the black interviewer turned a microphone on them, they just made it all about themselves and made these wild assumptions and were saying blatantly offensive things to this guy and about black culture in America, but saying it as fucked up as this is with the best of intentions, thinking they were doing real good. And I'm not saying that's what Tunyards were doing. I don't think they came in and went, well, we can solve racism by making black music. I think it was just, this is what I listen to. This is what comes out. But as you've said, as we'll say throughout the episode, it's an acknowledgement of the privilege that allows you to do that. 
and you have to thank these artists that gave you this influence and you have to include them in the conversation. Yes, absolutely. So what do you say we get into the album with my first pick, Make It Right? Now, they I will say that they did this thing on this album that I kind of really think is just such an indie cliche and you just make all of the writing all the song titles all lowercase yeah it's like very taylor swift it's like very jack antonoff (laughs) like very the 1975 and i'm just like come the fuck on like let's stop with this like properly punctuate and capitalize your song titles you know because it looks weird when you try to write them up too it's like okay i'm gonna do make it right but it's not gonna sound like a proper like it's not gonna sound like a title you know because it's all lowercase and i'm just I just need to get that out of the way. Fuck you to any artists that do that now and in the future. A con- a consistent, continuous fuck you to anybody that does that. Thank you. That's my PSA for right now. Now, this song, I had to pick one. You know, I picked the two that I really that I really like that we'll get into, you know, later. This was the one that I was like, oh, I got to pick one. This is the one that I like the most of the ones that were left. So I don't have a ton to say about it other than. You know, I did like the line, like the bridge towards the end. So go ahead, make me human. You know, I feel like that was kind of, you know, I always appreciate some kind of emotional vulnerability in a song. You know, I was talking about it on the uh, Illuminati Hotties episode where it's much easier to connect with somebody when you get, when they kind of open up their world to you a little bit, you know, Mm -hmm. and I think that's kind of what, where I found myself really enjoying it was when the music matched the emotion of the lyrics because there's a lot of points where the music was pretty flat the lyrics were pretty flat so it's hard no matter what they're singing to really get into it that much make it right i think was one of the songs where the music kind of helped helped move the lyrics along the lyrics helped move the music along it was that kind of forward momentum that i look for in a song you know there's maybe some emotional kind of resolution at the end of it you know, and I think that's that's why I like this one. You know, it's strictly from kind of the concept of it. The music and stuff I wasn't like super crazy about, but the concept of the song, kind of how it was put together, how it moved along, I did enjoy that. Yeah, and it's at the risk of repeating everything we've said up to this point as a preamble, this is one of the first of many songs um, about this thorny issue of white privilege and cultural appropriation in this music. When is it tribute? When is it jacking? Um but the important part is Tunyards want to grow as people. They are acknowledging systemic racism. They don't want to make it all about themselves as white people. But they've been given this gut check where it's like, hey, you've been using this style and you need to acknowledge that there's a certain amount of privilege that goes into doing that without getting called out. And not only not getting called out, you're getting accolades for it. You didn't invent this. And it's fine that you love it. It's great that you love it. But make sure that you're you're acknowledging that you're not the innovators here. And that's what this song is doing. Yeah. Make it right. And basically that whole like make me human, make me understand. Like she – Meryl Garbus, I guess. I'm just going to keep going with that. Um, <laughs> doesn't want to wallow in useless self-pity and doesn't want to be ignorant. So she's taking a very open-minded approach and is like, no, we have to be human about this. You have a perspective. I want to hear it. And then musically, like you said, it's upheld by this like really fresh, exciting electronic jazz direction. I know you didn't necessarily like it as much, but 
for me, it was like very aggressive and there were a lot of moving parts Mm -hmm. and the verse to the chorus to the outro are all so starkly different that you can't possibly get bored. There's the syncopation in the beat to the point where like it starts moving to such a point that almost like starts glitching out. I call it in my notes, a jazz glitch. Um, but it's it the sound was constantly changing up and it can be a little hard to glom onto something. But once you kind of make your peace with that, it's really fun to watch it go in all these different directions. And I would say this song has reverse Duran Duran syndrome. <laughs> where Duran Duran can come up with one really good part of a song and the rest of it's dog shit. Mm-hmm. This had wild components that all fit together for me. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, and we move on to Hypnotize. This was one of your picks. This was one of the ones that when I was listening through the album, I was like, fuck, this song's yeah. a banger. And then you picked it. So I had to move on, mosey on along to something else. Well, the reason I picked it is because this is what brought Tune Yards back into my consciousness. This was in my Discover Weekly. And I was like, oh, Tune Yards, I, that, that's familiar. Click. And then just immediately had my asshole blown out (laughs) (laughs) it's this great it's so sneaky it's this dreamy synth and it's got these swishy drums and it just lures you in with this like kind of lullaby sound the trees are in the meadow the cows are in the trees and it's just this like kind of weird abstract lyrics and you don't really know where it's gonna go and then all of a sudden it pops into the chorus and the sound just opens the fuck up (laughs) yes you've got these like synthetic elements that are very dreamlike but they also kind of reflect this sense of confusion and fog that's part of the message of the song which is we've been given these synthetic elements to become complacent and the government is manipulating us we're we're flattened by social media and society but the song ultimately has a hopeful message which is, I see that you're institutionalized. Come back to me. Remember who you are. Yeah, this song and just the way that, and they do this a few times on this album. And the way that it just kind of like swells into that chorus is just like pop. And it's just so good. Yo, that, this is exactly what I think they should be focusing on. Mm Because this to me doesn't sound like they're really aping anybody. Mm -hmm. You know, they're just making good. It's the same thing like um, with the Alan Stone album you know i still go back to that like that song brown-eyed lover is like so just pure and perfect as as a pop song that this kind of thing is exactly what they should be trying to do is because it gives me that same sense when i'm listening to i'm like damn i want to go back and listen to that again the way that chorus hit was just so chef's kiss it was just beautiful just beautiful oh and the fucking drums on this one i'm becoming more and more aware of drumming in songs Mm -hmm. just this like this the syncopation the turnarounds this the jazzy ass wait did you hear that what i think tanner just got hard oh i was like (laughs) wait what happened one of your dogs going nuts or something he's the reason i've got a drum boner now he infected me um and then just yeah dude the, the 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 part that gets me every time is the absolute triumph of that bridge where Meryl Garbus, whose voice is like a fucking sonic boom. It's just this yeah, big. Good. She can take it down to be quiet, but she can just blow the fucking doors off the place. So that bridge went, ah! 
and just holds onto it. Mm-hmm. And it's just, holy shit, I came. Yes, it was. It was damn good. This was the first song on the album where I was just like, oh, so this is what we're getting with this album. Because it's like, what is it, fourth on the on the album or something like that? Third or fourth? Third, um, I think. Yeah. And it's just like, this was the first one when it hit. I was like, okay. Because the first two, I was like, eh. And then this one comes on, that chorus hits, that bridge hits in the way that she can belt. She doesn't really do that in the first couple songs. This is the first one where they really let it rip. And I was like, they just need to be in this pocket the whole time. They keep getting in the wrong pockets. And that's as after I listened to the rest of the album after this, I was like, they kept doing it. You know, they had a few more that were this good and this pure, like as pop songs. But they just kept going back to that well of like, let's see how weird we can make it. And it's just like, it doesn't always work. You know, and it didn't yeah. always work on this one. Yeah, you can tell when they're putting a hat on a hat in this album. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Yeah. But definitely hypnotized. I mean, I don't know. It's between this and another one of your picks that were my for my two favorites on this album. Uh, but I went, I did pick Silence Part 1. I almost picked Silence Part 2 as kind of a, a little, <laughs> little jokey joke because there's no yeah, sound I- to it at all. Um but Silence Part 1, this was another one where I was like, it's very weird. I feel like this was bordering on between like the really weird side of the album and the like hypnotized side of the album where you know you kind of straddled that line between very weird and very good pop music. And I feel like Silence Part 1, especially like the later half of the song, when it really gets cooking, that bop really starts building up and that you know the beat just really starts picking up. It was it was a very good experience on this one as well for the same reasons that I liked Hypnotized. Yeah. I don't have a ton to say about this one purely because I think thematically it um it repeats a lot of the same material that's in Make It Right. Mm-hmm. Um this whole like not trying to be a white savior, not trying to assume any plight, just wanted to let you know that I know I need to change and I need to do the work. Can't be silent. Um so like again, theme well met. Um, but it does silence part one does kind of traverse the same territory, but in a more abstract way. Cause it's a lot of just like numbers and specific beats. Um, but I, what I liked about it most of all was the music. And what I liked specifically was it started off with a very full sound. They're great with layering. So you listen to this with headphones on, they're great at layering sound and making it feel very three dimensional and it just keeps growing as the song goes on, almost as if it's being joined by more and more people to transmit this message across time and space. Because there's that line that's repeated, travel time. And I didn't necessarily take it as like traveling through time so much as it's like the context of feeding time. Like it's mm-hmm. travel time, which means you're starting a journey for self-improvement. And as you go... It's like Forrest Gump. All these people join you, and that's what it takes is, is to, to lead by example. And again, if you don't do it right, it turns into a white savior narrative, but I don't think it tipped over into that in this. It was just like, hey, everybody, let's all pitch in and fix this shit. Yeah, and I think that's that's kind of the main thing there. There's the specific lyric in the bridge, she said, change yourself to change the world, and I am going to try. You know, the, the, that I think that line kind of, perfectly encapsulates what the tune yards are trying to kind of atone for from from previous criticisms of them as a band 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's like you change yourself and that is going to entirely change the perspective that everybody has of you and that it's going to change the opinion that everybody has of you. If you go through and make these changes and they're authentic and you are, you know, clearly trying to do the work and make yourself better and able to more recognize when you're not recognizing your privilege. Um, I think that's a very good little two line lyric that really encapsulates kind of the whole feeling behind what they were doing is just change yourself and it'll change the world. Um, and the next one is another one of, uh, another one of your picks, right? Hold yourself. Yes. Yes. Um, uh, I don't want to just bloviate, so I'm going to try to make this as <laughs> concise as I can. I have a lot of notes about this one. Um, it's a song I really like. I like it musically, so I guess, yeah, I don't know if I should start with that, I guess. I mean, it's got a very the, – the irony is this is a whole uh, album about like reconciling with, hey, sorry we took something and didn't acknowledge it. And yet this is a very Prince-inspired, dreamy synth sound on here. Mm-hmm. I would say Prince, and then I would say um, Garbus's voice kind of reminds me of, like, Genesis. And it's another song where, or, like, I would say specifically Phil Collins and Genesis. Just like okay, I was about to ask, are we talking Peter Gabriel or Phil Collins here? We're talking Phil, Silly Philly. Um, and as it goes on again, more voices are being added. It gets bigger and bigger and there are horns and, and it, it's it got this like very mantric rep- repetition as it fades off into just like chaos and a big saxophone fuck fest. So musically tight. Love it. I have a hard time with the messaging of this one because on its face, the idea is um, your parents tried their best, but they failed you. And they fed you lies and you need to take care of yourself. And I take the point in the sense that our parents were fed a map by their parents and they gave us the only map they had and it was flawed. So I take the point that the boomers have been unchallenged and now they're resisting change because they feel attacked. Mm -hmm. But I would liken this to the story of the end of apartheid where as... uh, famous figure in the news these days dave chappelle would say by all rights that should have been a bloodbath but mandela and tutu realized that reconciliation was what you needed because it was people participating in a system that incentivized this horrible behavior and the only way forward is to get everyone together and say what you did he he phrased that very concisely like four specials ago and i think that's kind of what's going on here is you can take an all-or-nothing approach to the boomers need to get with the times and accept this. But if they feel attacked, they're going to shut down. And that doesn't mean let them off easier or, or just say, oh, what are you going to do? You mm-hmm. can't change them now. But there needs to be more finesse to it than is in this song. And I will double down on that because the whole message is your parents are fucked and you need to hold them accountable. But in an interview, someone asked Meryl Garvis, is that based on your family? And she goes, no, my parents are fucking great and they're woke. So this isn't about my parents. I'm like, that's pretty fucking hypocritical to yeah. say, like, you know, they're great people. So this doesn't apply to them. It's like, you sure? Because you seem to have learned a lot from them and you stepped in it with racial justice issues. So that that yeah. just seems unfair to hang that on everyone else's parents and not hers. It, it upset me a little bit. That doesn't help your case 
either when you're talking about how you've you know, when you get accused of taking these experiences that other people have had and, and using them to benefit your musical career, it does not help when you're claim when you're writing a song from the perspective of somebody that had, you know, fucked up parents that taught them the wrong things, then you didn't have that experience either. I mean, it may not be the same reasons that you were getting called out before, but this is, you know, this is like the kind of classic stolen valor, you know? Yeah. It's well, the, and I get the, it. The valor it, is just being stolen from kids from abusive homes, which is probably not where you want to take it from, but that's where she went. And and not even necessarily like abusive so much as just like, again, boomer parents who are like, well, I read Dr. Seuss when I was a kid and I didn't come out warped. I don't know why they're trying to cancel the book that has the racist caricatures of Chinese people in it. That didn't make me racist. It's like, <laughs> ooh, how much time do you have, mom and dad? Are we can unpack that. <laughs> But I, yeah, it just, it, I get it. You don't always have to have the experience to write the song. Like, Neil Young was not killed in a gunfight down on the bayou, a la Powderfinger, no. right? Look out, mama, there's a white boat coming down the river. That didn't happen <laughs> to him. But he wrote a story. He wasn't there for the Spanish invasion of, of the and subjugation of the Aztecs. But you can write a story on that based on historical context or just coming up with a great character. But when this is instructional, like this song is meant to be, like, listen to these lyrics. Parents are children. Parents were children all of the time. Parents, they made us. They tried to raise us. But parents betrayed us even when they tried. They held us close and dear and told us lies that they've been telling themselves for years. They'll suffocate me, so I'll hold myself now. And I look at that and I get kind of mad. I'm like, some parents have malice, yes. But most of our parents, again, it's not an excuse for any issues they have, did the best they can with the material they were given by their parents. Mm -hmm. So it feels a little disingenuous to punch down on everyone else's parents while saying, but mine were cool. It, it bugged me. Yeah, that's. That, I feel like that's exactly how you get yourself into those kind of messes in the first place, is with this kind of attitude. So maybe, I don't know, maybe they haven't learned as much as we were hoping they did. Maybe not. Maybe not. Um, the next one is one of my picks, uh, Sometime. Again, all lowercase letters, really just, <laughs> I, I don't know. I feel like it's just such a self-indulgent thing. It's just like, oh, let me show them how much I don't care about this. You know, it's just like, I, I hate it. I can't stand it. Can't stand it. Why are you trying to put them in a box, Jeff? Yeah. Why you be like that? <sighs> Fuck. That's exactly what they'd say, too, and I wouldn't have a good answer for them. Like, it just looks stupid. It just looks dumb. Well, and they style uh, the name of the band, Tune Yards, like the fucking sarcastic SpongeBob meme. It's all like <laughs> alternating caps. It's, it's fucking stupid. I'm sorry. I'm with you on that one. <laughs> You're not an individual like you think you are. Yeah, th this one, I mean, I don't know. I guess I, I liked it because the lyrics were just so fucking off the wall. Like, yeah. listen to this. Because Easter eggs reveal themselves from beneath the melted snow. Born and birth and rebirth at once, hidden below. Oh, you know, and it's just like reaching into this abyss that they don't even know. Like they're not. I don't think they're they're used to swimming at this kind of depth lyrically. Mm -hmm. 
And mm-hmm. so you can tell they're kind of gasping for air a little bit when they're trying to write stuff like this. Musically, yeah. I enjoyed this one, but lyrically, the reason I picked it was because, well, I had to pick something. Um, and it just kind of had the most batshit off the wall lyrics. Yeah, these were these were some of the, the most fun abstract lyrics on the album. Um, interesting dovetail with uh, with Hold Yourself. Hold Yourself runs right into this one because they sort of share messaging in the sense that the message here is things are going to get better as each generation becomes more and more awake. I read an interview mm-hmm. with uh, with Garbus that was like, we don't like the term woke because it's misinterpreted and overused. We like to say awake. And I'm like, okay, well, that's, you know, <laughs> six of one, half dozen of the other, but whatever. Um. So I'm going to say woke, but as, as each generation becomes a little more self-aware, things will get better. So up to now, the themes have all been like, you got to put in the work. You got to hold the people around you accountable. You really got to like dig deep here. But the message of this one is, ah, give yourself a break. You're working hard. You're putting in the work. You could take a break. I'm like, what does give yourself a break look like in the context of social justice? Ah, I'm going to go out and, you know casually find a gay couple and terrorize them like what (laughs) i know that's not what they meant but it's very weird to be preaching social justice the entire album to then go ah but give yourself a break you've been working so hard on yourself it's like you don't get a cookie for doing something that should be the bare minimum of humanity you know what i mean and, and that's i mean that's also part of the privilege that i feel like they choose to recognize sometimes and then choose not to other times like right here yeah. you know because it's that's one thing we have the privilege of doing is you know we can put our one foot in take one foot out whenever we feel like it you know we're not in this fight because we're forced to be you know we're in it because we choose to be which means that a lot of people choose to be out of it when they can right and when it's convenient for them you know so it's i think there's a lot of that too where it's like hey you know i realize that you're doing everybody a big favor by being there but you can you can do a favor for yourself and take some time off, you know, but while not really acknowledging that there's other people that don't have that option, that if they don't right. continue to fight, things are going to continue to stay terrible. And that's that's what started to bug me at this point in the album was I think it's I cannot sit here. I would be a hypocrite if I was like, I am unimpeachable. I am a font of social justice. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've never transgressed. I'm pretty perfect. I'm the perfect ally. I would never say that. I am a walking white human fuck up. So I don't pretend that I'm floating above anything. This is not about canceling tune yards or shitting on them for what, in theory, is a fine thing, which is recognizing your privilege. And I don't like aggressively hold people to that standard, but this is what they wanted to do. This is what tune yards wanted to do was be like, we want to apologize, we want to move forward, and we want to give instruction for other people who want to lead, follow our example and do the same. But if you're going to do that, you need to be consistent because that is what kills me is heavy use of air quotes, woke people who talk the talk and don't walk the walk. And Toon Yards is setting up to be like, well, we're doing both. We're, we talk the talk and we walk the walk. And it's like, but your talk is not complete. You haven't really yeah. thought this out. So if you're going to sit there and deliver messages from on high, you better know exactly what the fuck you're talking about. And this feels a little half-baked. And this song felt like it was slipping into 
oh, we, we're, we're beating ourselves because we feel so bad. And look at me, look at me. And I'd better take a break because I've really been putting in the work. It felt disingenuous. And then like musically, it reflected that. The jazz drums, which I have loved heretofore, fell flat here for the first time. They're at their best in the song when it's stripped down to the spoken word component, which, by the way, beat poetry, pioneered by black people, and you're mm-hmm. kind of doing that here. Um, but, you know, when the chorus kicks in, the drums just kind of feel like an engine instead of a voice. So, like, this song kind of shit the bed for me and and, and destroyed a little bit of the goodwill that was built up to this point. Fair. Fair enough. Absolutely fair enough. Um, now, the next one is we're going to basically do a hard U-turn here because under <laughs> under your lip, I don't know how you felt about this one, but I thought this one was pretty kick-ass. Oh, I fucking love <laughs> yeah. this one. Yeah, fucking this was awesome. this was a great one. This was a good pick. And once again, you beat me to it. I pimped you. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty straightforward message. Shut the fuck up. I don't want to see what's under your lip. Don't open your fucking mouth. And... I, this feels specifically targeted towards men trying to impose their will and their laws on female bodies. She had a huge problem with that, as everyone should, with that Alabama abortion law that was like, doesn't matter if it's incest, doesn't matter if it's rape, we mm-hmm. don't care. And I I would have to venture a guess that she's got a huge problem with the Texas abortion law as well. I would assume because it's pretty similar. It's pretty right. the same. Yeah. Right, exactly. Um, And there's some really like disturbing stark imagery about violence against women in this song. I dream of hands on strands of my hair at the nape of my neck, my skull and teeth being slammed like the shell of a clam on a slab of cement. Like what the (coughs) fuck that is, that paints an image for you. And that, that Mm -hmm. could only come from a woman. You know what I mean? Like that's the fear they live with. Yeah. And that was, you know, that's the kind of thing. Also, where it's like, if you can be this <clears throat> authentic in your messaging, you know, if you can, if you can do what you've done in this song, which I think is is very well done, and I think speaks to your direct experiences. I say your like tune yards direct experiences, where the, it feels like we are getting a look into who you are. This is when you're at your best. You know, this is the kind of music that. If I'm going to come back and listen to more tune yards, it's going to have to be like this to keep me around. And not necessarily exactly like this musically, but just the whole package together. You know, the lyrics were necessary in in kind of how they make you feel. The music, the way, once again, this one just kind of swells up and is just a banger of a song when it gets cooking. I mean, that's important as well. It just seems like when they get in the pocket, when they are at their best, they are so, so good. And, but they also seems like they are their own worst enemy because they just get into these different modes where they they get overly preachy you know and it's like their messages that are that should be getting delivered in some form or fashion in your music but Mm -hmm. just the way it's getting presented i think sometimes is not nearly as good as what you've done with under your lip on this one yeah and i guess like now that i think about it now that you say that I don't super hold it against them in the sense that it's a process. It's going to take time. It's going to take your whole life. I mean, unlearning systemic racism is going to take all of us our entire lives. And that's very important. And 
again, hearts are in the right place. Um, paying trip, like utilizing black music in their earlier music came from a place of love, trying to, uh, to, to address their privilege and, and, and move forward saying like, yeah, we get it. We get what we did and we're sorry. We're going to put in the work that comes from a place of love too. They're not going to get it right the first time or every time. None of us are. I mean, we're all going to stumble. We're all going to fuck up. Again, I don't hold myself up as like, well, if I can do it, how come other people can't? You know, I, mm-hmm. I I think it's it's thorny whenever white people talk about race. We have a very specific uh, uh, interpretation of it. I go back to the Uhuru Rights March where it's like these people thought they were doing the right thing for the right reasons and they thought they were, were helping they don't realize how ignorant some of this stuff sounds. But those are the kind of minds that can be finessed to be truly helpful. Mm-hmm. I think it's the same of Toon Yards. Like their their attitude can be utilized in a helpful way and will grow and will get better. And hopefully all of us feel that same way. Some people will be unrepentant till the day they die. And as is said in Hold Yourself, that map is gonna get passed along to their kids. So it's gonna be a process. But pursuant to the seed imagery that comes up a lot in this album, a lot of mention of planting seeds, Mm -hmm. sitting five feet away from me on a filing cabinet in this room is a quotation that I'm paraphrasing. It's an old proverb that says, we plant the seeds so that the next generation can enjoy the shade. Yeah. So to that end, I give them points for trying the execution. Sometimes they stepped on their own asses, but they tried. And I think that's what's important. Yeah, and I think overall on this album, I think I'm gonna say stream it because I, you know, there were certain there's songs that just didn't hit for me and, and that I really didn't like, but the songs that did hit for me on this one really hit, you know. And there was a few and and among the ones that we went over. So if you're not into the tune yards and and you don't think you're gonna want to get into them in depth, just go listen to the ones that we talked about because I think there's some bangers in here, especially the ones that you picked. <laughs> yeah, and to be fair, I went kind of hard on uh, Hold Yourself. It's a beautiful song, the way it sounds. Um, so, yeah, even when we were critical of some of these songs, they're still worth listening to. I would say go ahead and check out the old, the whole album. You may find different mm-hmm. insight through different songs. Um, but there's, there's definitely a lot of stuff to enjoy. Hypnotized, at the very least, it's going to blow out everyone's butt. Yeah. So yeah, I will also was, say stream it. Yeah, I think there's enough good on this one that gets you know stream it from both of us definitely go check it out um other important business that we need to talk about here is the end of the year episode coming up our best of and worst of 2021 so make sure folks that you get your votes in by december 1st if something really moved you this year in a good way or a bad way we want to know about it musically we don't want to hear about what happened at sleepaway camp over the summer want to hear about what songs and what albums did it for you uh, maybe any big music news that you feel like needs to get covered at the end of the year. Whatever whatever it is that you want to hear on our end of the year recap, you let us know. We're going to decide what's going to be on there, but we can always use some ideas. Yeah, I mean, fuck it. You guys could even tell us what you thought the best and worst episodes of the podcast were in 2021. Oh, yes. It's all perfectly legal. Oh, yes. Yes. So let us know at out on that line at gmail.com. If you want to send us an email, you can send us DMs at on Twitter or just comments, whatever you want to do um, on Twitter, out on that line one on Instagram at out on that line. 
Um, there's also a rumor that there's going to be another form of social media getting some play in the out on that line universe. I'm not going to mention specifically what it is until we're ready for that, but keep your eye out for that folks. Like Alex was mentioning earlier, you can find all of our videos on YouTube, all of our singles videos, as well as all of these podcast episodes. You just search hashtag out on that line on YouTube. You'll find them right there. Make sure you hit that notification button and the subscribe button that as we release these pieces of content two times every week, yes, I said two times every week, that's every week, twice, you're going to get notified every time one of those gets up gets up there. So you can watch it again and again. You can tell all your friends, and please do. Alex, is there anything else that you want to cover this week? I just want to say I'm rooting for you, Smash Mouth. I, I hope you guys get better. I, I feel horribly responsible, and I'm, I'm rooting for you. Well, maybe we'll see them on the end of the year best of list. Mm. Keep your eyes peeled, folks. Until next time.